Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello, everybody, and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. It's John Heindhoff here, just after 8 o'clock in the UK and just after 2 o'clock where I am uh, here, central time in Austin, Texas. Well, at least just south of Austin, Texas. It is, of course, the quarter 24 hours this weekend at the Circuit of the uh, Americas. And we'll have full coverage of that uh, in sound and sound and vision. Uh, All of the sessions in sound and most of them. And I think all bar the first free practice session is in sound and vision. Up in London is Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim. Uh, Good evening, John. And on a packed programme tonight, Tim, we have... Uh, We'll try and get through some of the usual features, uh, but we don't have Nick Damon tonight. Oh. Uh, we also don't have Matt Damon tonight. Right. But we do have Christian Bale. Has he popped in for a cuppa? Uh, I didn't offer him a drink, but uh, did talk to him about a uh, film he's in. All right, okay. Batman. Well, he's got the right, he's got the right accent. Uh, it's Batman versus Bourne, isn't it? Isn't that yes, it? There's, that, there's a, a big that's fight a, between... That's a, that's a film, yes. Yeah, Batman versus Bourne. Uh, okay, that's uh, still to come tonight. Shea Adam is uh, here in our commentary box as well. Hello. Just to prove it. And I can push that button again any time I want. Hello. See? You could be accused of child abuse or something. (laughs) Uh, We've also got a big interview with Evo Broikers. We have. uh, Evo here for the weekend, the man behind the uh, success, one of the men behind the success of Preventic and the Hankook 24-hour series uh, as well. Uh, and that will be... Is that in an hour's time, Tim? Are we going to have that then? Yeah, big interview at nine o'clock as usual. Right, that's three Jeeves. o'clock where you are. Yeah, OK, right. I haven't had any lunch yet, so I've just realised that now, been running around the paddock. Uh, it's very wet, uh, drizzling, uh, very cold. At least the wind has dropped. It was very windy when we arrived here on Monday, but that has dropped just a little bit. There's been a couple of days of McLaren Pure uh, out on, Pure McLaren rather, out on track on uh, Monday and Tuesday. But now, I think you might hear the one or two cars in the background in the um, uh, free practice session. What is it called? Promoter test day. That was the word I was looking for. Shall I do a quick bit of housekeeping? Please do. Uh, at Specutainment, please. Brody, no AFAs tonight. He's taken... Uh, a leaf out of 2012 ERA 1's book, uh, and he'll be washing up. Yes, I see what you've done there. Moni, apologies. She's having meetings, uh, working to the soothing 
uh, sounds of race track cars on track at uh, Daytona. Uh, that's for the 24 hours, uh, the HSR 24 hour race this weekend. Matt Ending, EFA is a game this week, he said. I'm cleaning the micro down after last week's Targa rally. However, he says, cleaning is worth it this time since he was first overall last weekend in the micro. Can we have a collective little cheer for Matt Ending out competing? Get in, son. Great stuff. Really, really pleased to hear that. Uh, hello to Tom Gaymore tuned in tonight. To Rob Jane, apologies for the absence. Looking forward to uh, the views on the uh, various announcements that we've had today. Manufacturers coming back to championships or coming into championships. Now, Bio Ben at Dr. Bio Ben so, uh, has tweeted in a picture. And I hope you can see this, Tim. Uh, it says, uh, two weeks ago, Tim mentioned we were going to have some culture on Midweek Motorsport. Uh, Hindoff said, I hope it's not from a Petri dish. She says, this week, I've made some culture in a Petri dish for the show. And there's a picture there. So that is going to get retweeted from at Specutainment. And I'm glad to see that he has got to, um, blue gloves on as well there. Excellent. Well done. Uh, <laughs> I never used blue gloves when I was handling Petri dishes with things growing on them. Well, that explains a, a lot. young boy. <laughs> that explains awful. Can we, can we find out um, what, uh, what he's used to uh, grow this? Well, Bio, Dr. BioBen, we, we need to know what the culture is and whether we're... Obviously, it's it's MWMRSL in the Petri dish. I can see uh, that. Uh, it's, it's obviously benefiting mankind in some way. Uh, Alexander Orkin uh, definitely approves of uh, Brody's tactics tonight with the washing up. That's Alex's, uh, uh, that's Alex's usual shtick. Hello, Alex. Phil says, uh, that's at safe Phil says, Mm, the AF Corsa penalty was crazy to me. It might get a mention tonight. That's WEC, of course. We'll do a bit of that later. Uh, BTCC managed to do a right height even before the driver fully is down the pit lane or out of the car. Uh, no AFA, as he says, by the way. Um, what else have we got? Luke Edwards saying, listening live tonight, wonder what the top story will be. An underdog winning with a helping hand from Balance... That success ballast or a manufacturer with a new motorsport programme. That'd be Hyundai, Hyundai in BTCC, unless I've missed any other announcements. I see what you did there. Billy Earl is listening to the first hour while at the gym, uh, but the second hour is on the podcast. He's over in Norfolk, listening live tonight for the first time in a while. How will you fill the short time up, says Michael Denny. Another quiet show week. Saving the podcast for my Friday trip to Daytona International for the HSR historic Tron, the brilliantly named Tron Valentine. Like that a lot. Uh, Chris Suku is settling himself uh, in for the evening as well uh, and is uh, faffing for the next two hours. Sorry, organising the study. That's what I've told everybody. Well done. Uh, right turn lover. Uh, not sure you'll find anything to talk about on a slow news day, but on the off chance, I'll tune in anyway. Dave England, uh, plane delayed, not BA's fault this time, he says. David Two Brews, I'm ready for a whole hour of news in Spanish. Apologies for absence from Marcus Miller, Pat Tram with too many of my closest friends. He's on the podcast. Uh, and Christopher Matthias listening live uh, as he gets ready for his work shift at the supermarket. 
Uh, it's freezing in Penske Racing's old stomping ground. Might have to break out the thermals. EMR back on evening shift. Uh, listening but can't tweet. Other than this tweet. Entropy Nebula. No AFAs. Working on a presentation. Uh, Oliver Gilles. Olivier Gilles. Obviously. I could do with a Gilles here actually. It's a bit cheating. Uh, Chile. Taking a break from studying. Listening in. Ted the Toyman listening in. We've got a big crowd in tonight. Sarah Rigby. Listening in, can't wait to watch Ferrari versus Ford on Saturday. Uh, she's going uh, to the pictures for that at the movie theatre. Uh, Dave Alcock. Uh, and, oh, just a bit of E. coli in the Petri dish, by the way. But I could have done with uh, with Yersinia, Yersinia pestis, which is the plague. Yeah, you I'd won't, rather wish you didn't. You won't find a lot of that. E. e. coli is pretty common. Does it... Um... Is it on a agar base, or is that some other kind of uh, base? Ah, well, we'll find out in the second half of the programme, I think. At, uh, at Speculatement, and our final bit of housekeeping, Sam P says, listening while going through the pictures of a very wet Brabham BT62 race debut on Saturday night, and congratulations to Martin Short, uh, to David Brabham, and the rest of the crew for bringing that BT62 home at the front of the field on Saturday. Shuffle your papers, And also Tim. congratulations to me for winning my class in the same race. Yes, I saw that. I was following you on the live timing and scoring. Me too. Mm. In fact, I was <laughs> listening to the uh, listening to the commentary, um, but mainly following on the live timing and scoring. Excellent. Uh, shuffle your papers, Tim, and let's have the top story. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. I can't even begin to guess what it might be. Uh, it's a Le Mans story, obviously. Oh, OK. Because um, uh, we have news from uh, a big European manufacturer with a uh, heritage at Le Mans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's Porsche, who've announced that the Carrera Cup Deutschland will be supporting uh, this year's 24 Hours. Yes, uh, Deutsch, Porsche Club Deutschland and Porsche Club France will yes. be combining for the uh, the race on Sat one of the races on Saturday morning. We've got a bit more time, and no, course. no doubt uh, um, there'll be some guest cars from Italy and maybe even Australia and Asia. Yeah, we've got a bit more time, haven't we, for the support races because they've pushed the race start back to four o'clock again, back to the traditional time. Uh, although I've noticed that on the provisioning schedule that I've seen, Tim, they still have left warm-up at the same time. So that uh, means we still have to be in the track at the same time. We've just got more time to sit and wait before anything happens. Well, there'll always be something happening. It's just not necessarily um, something uh, worth watching. Hmm. Right. Uh, any, uh, just, I, I just wonder if there might be another Le Mans story in there. Somewhere. Oh, there are plenty of other Le Mans stories. Well, some of them are actually WEC stories, and we'll come on to them later when we talk about the actual WEC. But I noticed uh, that we're not that far away from the 100th anniversary, the centenary running of uh, Le Mans 24 Hours. 2023, that'll be, Tim, yes. Wouldn't it be great if in 2023, just like in 1923, we could have a French winner? Well, if only there was a French manufacturer who were ready to enter yes. and... and you know, possibly be there in 2023. Um, uh, I mean, Toyota, could they pretend to be French? Well, they've got red and white. They just need a bit of blue on them. Well, they've got a bit of blue on the cars. Yeah, so it could happen. The, 
the Denso bits in blue ink, isn't it? Correct. What yes, about exactly. uh, Aston Martin? Could it be no, 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 Aston no. Martin? No, definitely not. No. Max Martin. See, Max Martin, he, you know, he could pretend to... He is French, so... He doesn't need to pretend. He's Alsace, actually, isn't he? Um, no, he's Belgian. About, he's Belgian, uh, sorry. Glickenhaus, is, is that still going ahead? Oh, absolutely. In fact, actually, you've just you've just reminded me that I need to drop my note to Jesse and we'll get the guys from Glickenhaus on the show in the next few weeks and find out how the project's going. They've been very busy building their off-road car, the uh, the boot, not Das Boot, the boot, Ooh. in uh, homage to Steve McQueen's uh, off-road buggy. Uh, so they're going to go submarine some... movie. <laughs> no, um, and uh, that's going to do some Baja racing, and they've been very, very uh, busy doing that. So anyway, move on. I can hear a car in the background. Yes, I'd say it's a it's promoter test here. That was a Seat that you heard. Go- Sorry, that was a Cupra that a you heard Cooper. going by. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, Peugeot, they're launching a supercar for 2022-23 season. Which means that the first time it will be at Le Mans will be in 23. So that would be... See, there we are. That's We've we've solved that conundrum. There will be a French car able to take the victory on the centenary running of the Le Mans 24 hours. Uh, I'm not going that oh, far. Perfect. There'll be a French car entered into the race. <laughs> Won't necessarily be capable of winning. Well, in all seriousness, you, you raise a decent point there, Tim, because everyone else who's been involved will have been in it for two full seasons with their cars, will have knocked all the rough edges off, worked out the right ways to uh, work the sporting regulations, got got round all the bits of the technical regulations that they needed to get around, and uh, Peugeot will have only started in September 2022. Uh, that's what... Uh, has been announced today. Um, if you go back to 2017, uh, the uh, the man at the head of Peugeot that then, who is the man who made the announcement today, um, uh, Jean-Philippe, now I've got to get this right, Imparato, Imparato is his name, Jean-Philippe. Um, he said... the. In 2017, and I read this again today, I went and looked it up because I thought I had this in my head, in an auto car quote, a magazine in the UK, um, said three things have to happen uh, for us to go back to Le Mans. Uh, number one, we have to be back in profit, which they have been for a little while. Number two, we they had to have won the Dakar, which they did. And he said, so we've done the first two. Uh, the third one, and in 2017, this wasn't the case, was the budget for running uh, in the series, in the WEC, uh, including Le Mans, had to be under 200 million euros per year, not including the development costs of the car. Now, that hadn't been met at that point. However, it seems that they believe that the new regulations, when they uh, finally surface from the ACO, and, and let's just remind ourselves, by the way, that there are no regulations yet for the LMP1s, successor in 2020 neither are there any sporting regulations either which is um cutting it fine to say the least but never mind um however they must feel that it's under 200 million and that's why they can uh they can commit now 
I don't know about you, Tim. I'm a bit old-fashioned like this, but I think 200 million euros is still quite a lot of money, don't you? Yes. I mean, you could run all the teams in most championships for 200 million euros a season. Well, according to Wayne Taylor who runs a pretty good operation in IMSA, running a Cadillac DPI single car, uh, costs, depending on how the season goes, uh, anything from uh, $4 to $6 million. Uh, the best estimates I've got for the people who spend the most would be Penske running two Acuras. It's somewhere in the region of $15 million, but that's two cars. But that's for a whole season. So that's for a whole season of IMSA. And Peugeot are still talking about spending somewhere under 200 million. Now, 100 million is under 200 million and 70 million is under 200 million. But clearly, if they want to spend more, they can because there isn't going to be any kind of price cap. And anyway, you can't enforce that. But that's a lot of money. Um, I'm very interested in this. I think it's great for the sport that Peugeot have decided to come in. I think the timing is very interesting because let's not forget that Peugeot are in talks to merge with Fiat Chrysler. Uh, if you remember a few months ago, start of the year, I think it was, we were talking about uh, the Nissan-Renault alliance merging with FCA. FCA pulled out of those talks because the uh, French government got involved and in the, because they still hold a, a, a stake. And also Nissan weren't too keen uh, on it going further. It's gone beyond the opening salvo stage with PSA, which is the Peugeot Citroën group, which also owns Vauxhall and Opel over here in, over there in Europe. And I, one of the principal reasons that FCA want to merge with uh, another car company is because of their lack of hybrid and electric architecture. So this could be really good news. The merger could be really good news because you might get Fiat pushing for one of their brands to be uh, also represented in the new LMP1 2020, or in this case, 2022 uh, category. And I think it's really interesting. What we haven't, it's short on detail. Jean-Philippe said there'll be more details in 2020. Um, presumably he's waiting for um, the ACO and the FIAWEC to write the regulations so that they've got an idea of what they're building a car to uh, in 2022. And... I, I just I can't wait to see it happen. I, I won't see the car. It's unlikely that I'll see the car until Le Mans 2023, so June 2023. Which I've been, I've got to be honest. Whilst I'm, I think it's good news. I I can't get super excited about that. Um, I suppose I might see it at Sebring in uh, early 2023 if there's still a Super Sebring the by them. Um, yes, but if they if they Enter in September 2022. I, I might see it in March, but that still seems a very long while where we're. So I, I'm finding it a little bit difficult to get overly excited until a we have some regulations, b we have a car from Peugeot, and c um, I'm getting somewhere near seeing it on the track. Uh, but I think it's good news. 
it, it'll be massive news in France. Uh, a perfect addition to the week of the Le Mans 66 movie being released uh, in France. And more uh, on that uh, in the second hour of the show. Yeah. Do you think, Tim, that Peugeot committing, and I'm not saying this in any cynical type of way, so please don't take this, dear listener, and collective. Do you think that Peugeot committing um, actually could make other manufacturers sort of sit up and take notice, which could be even better news? Because let's be honest, Toyota were a given anyway. Aston Martin are a nice addition if they can still manage to put that program together their share price slipping below five pounds for the first time last week i, I noticed uh, and heading on down towards four um it does it does help the aco and it does help the new regulations um or the new formula whatever that's going to be doesn't it i can't see if any other manufacturers were interested, why would we have not heard anything from them mm. by now? Okay. Okay. Does yes. I name a manufacturer that might take part in this mm. that hasn't already announced something or been rumoured to have something. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Um. Uh, Chris, you're right. I did say Maxime Martin as Belgian. I got that one after putting him in three different uh, countries. Uh, and thanks to Dave Alcott for the kind uh, words about the encore. Uh, he says, also says, um, are you thinking of the great little buggy he and Faye Dunaway were driving in the sand dunes? Um Yes and no. Steve McQueen also had a more extreme version of that called The Boot. Go and look it up. It's magnificent. Um as far as who's going to build the Peugeot, it'll be Orica. It'll be you, Deshaunak. I'm absolutely certain. But in that case, it that. doesn't have to be a Peugeot. It could be any manufacturer if uh, it's going to be built by Orica. Well, no, no manufacturer. That, that gives you a French, French uh, winner. Well, that's true. But no manufacturer actually builds their own prototype, do they? Delara or Orica or somebody else builds the chassis. Not a prototype yet. No, but it will be a prototype. Any yeah. manufacturer who's serious about winning Le Mans in the new regulations will build a prototype. And all the manufacturers that I've talked to have said that, that it that it, it pretty much has to be a prototype. Once you allow prototype cars into the equation, then by building a purpose-built race car to the regulations, again, once we've seen the regulations, there are, so, there are far fewer compromises that you have to make rather than trying to start with a race car. Now, Aston have got a slightly different set of circumstances because they haven't got that road car yet, so they can make that road car as much of a race car as they really need to to make that work. So that will be a race car first and foremost, a bit like the Ford GT, really, in um, current competition. Um like the Celine S7R was. Um, the car was designed, the road car was designed whilst looking at the technical regulations for the class that the race car was going to compete in, which is exactly what happened with the Ford GT. Then it was backward engineered into a, into a road car. What can we get away with? What are we allowed to do? Ooh, we can make that surface there curved. Excellent. We can spin that air there. Great. Let's do all of that. 
and uh, and then we'll get a type approved afterwards. So that's a bit different for Aston, as I say. So mm, interesting, um, very interesting. Good good news for Gerard Navarre and the WEC, possibly. Uh, better news, I would say, for Le Mans um, and Pierre Fillon. I would say that it probably puts to bed any thoughts of a coming together of DPI 2.0 and LMP because that's a, another manufacturer. Um, and, and in all honesty, there isn't one of the DPI manufacturers that are there now who wants to go and spend the kind of money we're talking about. I mean, even if it was half the, the 200 million, 100 million to go and do the WEC in Le Mans when you can spend 15 million doing IMSA, particularly for brands that aren't necessarily full global brands. Uh, out of uh, Acura isn't a full global brand. That would have to be a, a, probably a split between Acura and Honda. Uh, you've got Cadillac, which is almost a global brand. I, I'm not sure if they, they've got a representation everywhere, certainly not in the UK officially. Mazda, it, Mazda's probably the closest. Um, let me know. Is Mazda everywhere that WEC goes? Uh, South America? Mm, not sure. Oh, more South American WEC news coming up as well. Anyway, Peugeot alleged, uh, 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 have announced they're coming in, and we're, we're happy about that. Uh, so let's do that South American uh, WEC news and doubt over whether Interlagos will actually hold a round of the FIA World Endurance mm. Championship this season. Yes, this is the round that is the first weekend in February. And I'm reliably informed by sources inside the FIA WEC that the very moment that they realised that the voice of the WEC, Johnny Palmer, wasn't going to be available because he was in Bathurst uh, with the Licky Molly 12-hour broadcast, that they felt there was absolutely no point in having a race. That was, that, that's, the, uh, that's the reason behind it. Uh, or, or not, perhaps. Mm. <laughs> so uh, it was John De Geese on Sportscar 365 who had a very good interview with uh, Gerard Navarre, the man at the top of the WEC. And Gerard basically said, "In, and I can actually hear Gerard saying these, these words, look, there's things they're meant to have delivered uh, by now. They haven't been delivered. And... We can't just keep hanging on sort of thing. I'm massively paraphrasing there. But credit JD uh, Daggers for that story uh, and some good quotes from Gerard Navo on that. Uh, traditionally, Tim, South American uh, events for uh, for WEC have been problematic. You remember the, there's only one word for it, the debacle over the last time we were in uh, Brazil, uh, and I think it was Emerson Fittipaldi who was the promoter, and a lot of things after the first event didn't get done. Um, it was alleged that bills weren't hadn't been paid uh, to the point where when we turned up the second year, and I was there both of those years. In fact, we were there. That was, I think, it, even in the years before I did WEC TV, I think we were just doing it for radio. Yes, we were. Um, that that bills from the previous year had to be paid by the FIA WEC in cash before 
uh, facilities were made available. Um, it's 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 been an issue. Um, it's a it's a race that some of the manufacturers involved the WEC don't want because of the clash with Bathurst. It's a race that some of the drivers don't want because of the clash with Bathurst. Um, and I would suggest that possibly some of the press pack don't want uh, say above answer. Um, so if it was to disappear or to move later in the year, is it possible to move later in the year? Well, it's a problem, isn't it? Because they like to move everything to keep the costs down by uh, shipping uh, rather than flying, shipping or driving. So if it's not going to be then, it's probably not going to happen. We wait to see. I'm sure Gerard will let us know what's happening. If I know one thing about Gerard Nouveau, he'll not be backward in coming forward to speak to the organisers to try and get it sorted out. And um, he's a very persuasive man, is Mr Nouveau, when he sets his mind to something. So let, let's see what what happens with that. But interesting comments from Gerard to Jean, Jean de Guise. Uh, Bruno Senna next. Oh, right. That's, uh, you've linked these nicely. That was very good. Uh, yes, because he's Brazilian and races in the WEC. And yeah, very good. is the first person ever to win in all four classes. In the WEC? In the WEC. Ooh. What Shea Adam is beside me. Can you think of any other driver who's won in all four classes of the WEC? Other than Bruno. Bruno Senna. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think anybody else. It, it depends how far you go back, of course. Brabs had three at one stage. We're only talking about uh, WEC as WEC rather than uh, right. previous iterations of World Sports Car Championship and things like that. Okay. Well, well done to Bruno. Uh, it was um, Rebellion's uh, first win of the season mm-hmm. and their second uh win in the uh, FIA WEC mm-hmm. uh, and uh, alongside Bruno Norman Nato and Gustavo Menezes but controversy mm-hmm. over the success handicap uh, that was imposed it's the rules them's the rules Toyota were I, 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 I wrote this on a on a on a uh, one of the forum posts on the uh, Radio Show Limited Listeners Collective. I feel sorry for Toyota. It feels to me as though they've been, as though they have been penalised for Porsche in particular and Audi leaving the championship. It's not Toyota's fault that nobody else wants to come. They haven't stopped anybody from building a car and coming to the championship. And neither have the ACO or the FIAWEC said to Toyota, we don't want your money anymore. Why don't you disappear and, you know, come back when we've got the new regs or race a GTE car or something and leave it open to the privateers? So Toyota have, you can't blame Toyota for doing what they're doing. And um, it was interesting. I, I, I watched it develop over the weekend. And a lot of people who said, well, I haven't been a big fan of Toyota with this, but I do, I'm starting to feel for them a bit now. And... It was a split, about 50-50, about people saying um, that they liked it and it was exactly what the championship needed and it's the worst thing that could ever happen to the championship I'm never watching again. It it, it was pretty polarised. Congratulations to... It was an action-packed race, completely the opposite of Fuji, which was one of the dullest races I've ever seen. There was battles throughout the race in every class. Um, 
Did you see the start, by the way? Uh, the jump start. The which jump start jump by start. all of the uh, fields, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that was a mistake, but that's hard to call when you're not there. So, um, yeah, I, I, let's let's not take any, anything away from Uda Shornak, uh, Orica, and uh, looking after the, the winning car, the Rebellion-sponsored car, um, and excellent work by those guys. They never put a foot wrong or a hand wrong or a wheel nut wrong or anything wrong and they ultimately deserve the win now they will get the success ballast for next time out it's not just ballast uh, though is it it's mainly ballast about ballast is a part of it there's also yes restrictors and uh, hybrid things well, not, the there'll Toyotas, be no hybrid things yeah. for Rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, t- they reckon it was worth 2.7 seconds a lap deficit uh, for Toyota at that particular track. Um, yeah, I, it wouldn't have been my preferred way of doing this. I've said this before. We've discussed this on the programme. Uh, I would have liked to have seen a return to how things were in the Group C, the wonderful Group C era, where you're given an amount of energy or amount of fuel and you can use it as you wish. Um, certainly, I would like to see all the fuel flow restrictions taken off the non-hybrid cars so they can go like the clappers, but then have to stop more often. Um, I'd also like to see the regulations be written in such a way that the hybrid is used for economy rather than performance, by which I mean exactly that, to make them go longer, to save fuel rather than to boost coming out of corners and things like that um, because I think that tells the hybrid story better. I think you get a PR um, advantage out of that as well. I, I've i got to say I think success ballast in any form of motorsport is, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, a bit primitive. And unfortunately, the ACO's technical department haven't didn't decide to look at a more technically... Um, what's the word I'm looking for there? Elegant. They didn't look for a more technically elegant way of of equalising the technology in those cars. But like I said, take nothing away from Uda Shornak from Orica who runs that car now um, and um, the drivers as well. They did a good job. And it was a good race. And Johnny and Bruce, I thought, did a cracking job at the weekend. Uh, debut win for Goodyear in LMP2. Uh, yes, rebranded from Dunlop uh, in the off-season. Um, we're told that much of the technology is the same on the tyres and uh, they uh, ha- still have some Michelin competitors there, of course. Um, the other thing about tyres, of course, and I, did we cover this last week, the, the single tyre thing? We covered it in passing. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I've just remembered that. Carry on. Uh, just one more thing about Shanghai, which is uh, Anthony Davidson uh, wasn't allowed to take his uh, trophy home with him. Why? Because it was bigger than he was? Uh, pretty much, yeah. He's only uh, had hand luggage uh, allowance on his flight home uh, and it was too big to go in his hand luggage, so he put it in the bin. Oh, he did not. Photos on Twitter. 
Oh, Anthony. Uh, before we move on, let's take some early tweets coming in about our top stories. Matthew Heinemann says, with Peugeot coming back to WEC, how does that affect their other motorsports programmes? Can't see DS Formula E programme being affected, but Citroen WRC already underfunded. Do they plug the, pull the plug on that as they're struggling to compete with Hyundai and Toyota right now? It's a good point, isn't it? Dave Alcock, hmm, he says... Uh, Fiat Chrysler Automotive involved with PSA, possibly with an FCA entrant into the new class of WEC. Now, he says, Maserati is part of FCA and they're talking about the significant hybridisation of the Maserati range. Wouldn't that be a great way of promoting hybrid Maserati luxury and sports cars? Nick Damon salivating already in the uh, airport at Dallas-Fort Worth where the guys have just landed thanks to American Airlines, ahead of time. Well done. Uh, hello to Neil Gardner, and good to hear you. Very excited by the news of uh, Peugeot's return. Aston Martin share price of Scooby-Doo 22B uh, should rise with the launch of the DBX on November the 20th. Need to secure orders for 1,400 DBX by uh, June. That's their new luxury SUV. Uh, Peugeot could be Orica, Duquesne, who used to be Norma, of course. Uh, plenty of other French things. Uh, but Chris Suku says, yeah, it's Hugh. Hugh de Shornak, all the way. Um, Alexander Orkin says, when we're talking about this kind of money, 200 million euros you'd spend for the BIW, body in white structure, on a new platform. That's not much money for a large OEM. As has been said before, it's not a lack of cash that prevents the OEMs uh, racing in the WEC. Uh, yes, I agree with that, Alex. But the 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 point I was and and, and you know it's I'm about I'm getting very... that cash back in the form of car sales. That's where the well, issue will be. Well, yes, but it's also about whether you use it and how you use it. Um, if you look at how a Toyota do it, Toyota still fund it all from their road car R&D because they feel they get a technology uh, um, dividend out of what they do, proving that technology in one of the harshest environments they can, a hot, fast, rattly racing car. My point about the OEMs in IMSA is they're not spending that amount of money because they're, they're probably not spending a tenth of that money in IMSA. And, and to go from even $15 million to, well, let's say you quadrupled it and went to $60 million. You're not going to be competitive with $60 million because as soon as somebody like Peugeot or Toyota and sources within Toyota tell me that they're going to spend upwards of $100 million on the new car, 100 million euros on the new car, same sort of area. Um, and their early ideas was it might be 70, and it's just been going upwards and upwards. Um, so that's a big jump. That's my point there. Uh, L.A. Filipponi says, if only we'd hold a WEC race at Bathurst uh, and have a super mega race with the 12 hours, I realise we can't do that, but still... I can dream. Um, Repurge, aren't the next sex of rule due in 2025? That's not a lot of time to amortise the investment of up to 400 million euros. Uh, 400 million euros. He says, I have to have the pinky finger up to the lip in Dr. Evil style. Well, and don't forget, that's just the running budget, Rob. Uh, up to 400 million in two years. You're absolutely right. It's a point I made on the collective. Um, 
Peugeot either are looking at a quick in and out Let's grab some headlines to your programme or they already know that this set of regulations will be going far beyond 2025 when the next new set come in. There's nothing that says that the ACO have to change them in 2025. They could, of course, just um, massage them a little bit, change. You only need uh, to make some tweaks, don't you? You don't have to completely change it and start from zero. As a side note, says Davy 2 Bruce, the engine in the Glickenhaus SCG007, the car that uh, they are taking to LMP1 2020, uh, there's rumours that that is an Alfa Romeo V6, the extraordinary 2.9 twin turbo V6 that one finds in the Giulietta Quadrifoglio, among other things. Our Toyota being taken advantage of for having committed to Le Mans rather than playing hard to get, says right turn lover. Oof. Yes. Well, it's you know it's not a bad point. I hadn't even, um, I hadn't even thought of that. Um, he says I also doubt Toyota have ever spent anything close to two hundred million a year. Um, hard to say. Uh, I, I bet it'll be a hundred million certainly. Um, but Peugeot back in twenty seventeen was saying they wouldn't consider it if it if two cars per year wouldn't cost less than two, uh, was costing more than 200 million. So they must have thought somebody in 2017 was spending that much. Apparently, Andy tried to put the, the trophy in the bin, but the broken away part of the base was too big to fit in the bin slot, says Alan Protter. No, that's Alan, true. Although he was trying to put it in the bottle bank, so it's the wrong shape. Right. Um, uh, Dave Alcott says 100% agree with Specutainment on the success balance in WEC if you're an OEM and a, a, a original equipment manufacturer trying to tell a story via endurance racing then having an energy limit with the hybrid giving better fuel economy would be a great storyline far storyline sorry far easier to explain to viewers than ballast rules mm-hmm. yeah can I go back to this 200 million figure yes uh, for 200 million uh, euros you could run all of the cars in the British Touring Car Championship and all of the cars in all of the support series to the British <laughs> Touring Car Championship for eight consecutive seasons. Mm. There's yeah. that Cooper again. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, let's move away uh, from... Let's have your, well, let's have your thoughts. We'll do some more of your tweets in the second hour about that. Peugeot coming back. What does it mean for DPI... IMSA and WEC coming together. What does it mean uh, for the other manufacturers who've already, already committed? Do they have an advantage having already committed and running their cars for two years before Peugeot come in? Or do they have a disadvantage because Peugeot have longer to develop their cars and see where the mistakes are made by other people? Let's have a, let's have a, a little bit of a debate on that on the, uh, on the short now. I'd spec your team. Go Go ahead, Tim. Where would you like to take us next? Uh, we're going to move away from uh, sports cars mm-hmm. and go to Rallycross. Uh, Rallycross? Yes. Sweden's Timmy Hansen was crowned world champion after the final round of the FIA World Rallycross Championship, which took place in South Africa at the weekend. It is the closest season finish in the championship's history. Uh with Hansen and uh, Andreas Backerud, uh level on points. Oh, right. And so did they do rock, 
rock, paper, scissors? Or? And a contentious turn six instant had a major impact on the race result and the destination of the title. Uh, oh, Backward, right. who started the race two points behind, was in the lead of the race. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came into contact with Hansen, who spun and dropped from second down to fourth. Um, the other Hansen, um, Kenny, is it, or Kevin? Kenneth. Kenneth. Um, uh, he also spun at the same time. Uh, dropping him down to fifth from third. Mm. So it looked like Backward would head for victory in the race and the title. But then Nicholas Gronholm uh, took the lead of the race. I think he said that quite right there. Nicholas Gronholm. I don't think he's any relation. Um, He is. Is he? Yes. Why? Okay. Um, He took the lead... uh, after that incident, um, leaving backward second uh, with Hansen fourth, and that put them um, in uh, level on points. Timo Scheider was in this uh, race, by the way. He finished sixth. Um, Nicholas Gronholm is absolutely the son of double World Rally Champion Marcus. Marcus, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 211 points each. Mm-hmm. And uh, Timmy Hansen takes the title because he has four race wins in 2019, whereas Backwood only had one. Mm. It is only the fourth time in history that an FIA World Championship has finished with the first and second placed competitors level on points. Can you, or probably Shay, because uh, it's the sort of thing that Shay would know, uh, name any of the other pairs? Sorry, say that again. It's only the fourth time in history that the champion and runner-up in an FIA World Championship have finished mm. level on points. Uh, so when who were the other three pairs? Well, it's it's not happened in Formula 1. No, never Formula 1. Closest finish in Formula 1 was what? Uh, well, half a point. Half a point. Nineteen eighty-four. Yeah, half a point. Yeah, yeah, half a yeah, point. Half a point. So in nineteen eighty-four, between Frost and Lauda. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, what other FIA championships could we have? Uh, was it something bizarre like an endurance FIA endurance rally championship, like the the that sort of thing? No. Ooh. Touring think, car championship. Think, think about. Uh, what uh, world championships there are. World Touring Car Championship, of course. Closest finish there was 1987, one point between Klaus Ludwig and Roberto Revalia, uh, who took Lorries. that title. FIA World Truck Racing No Championship. World Championship in Truck Racing. Mm, really? World Championships, touring cars, Formula One, rallying, Is there a world uh, drag racing champion? Karting, FIA drag racing? there isn't a world championship in drag racing. So karting, was there a karting? Then? No. Well, that's FIK, not FIA. It's a um, F-I-A-C-I-K, but ah, right. um, no. Um, we're looking at the World Sports Car Championship. Are we? Really? Yes. Three times. 1992. Right. 98 points was, apiece. That was, was that the Brundle year? That was uh, Yannick Dalmas's year. He, oh, uh, Yannick Dalmas. He was. finished level with uh, Derek Warwick. 
two years earlier it had happened again. And how did they split? How did they split that then? Based on race wins, right? Uh, Jean-Louis Schlesser and Mauro Baldi. Yeah. Um, in 1990, 49 and a half points each, and 1986, which was. And these weren't teammates in the same car, Tim. I am not certain about all of these. It's possible that they might mm-hmm. have been. See, because I hate that. It, 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 that used to happen in the American Le Mans series, whereby you got a point for pole or you got a point for fastest lap, and therefore you never had, or you've seldom had, joint champions because, yeah. you know, if you had one person who qualified uh, on pole a couple of times in the year, it took them ahead of their teammates. And that was stopped. That, that was stopped. The car got the and the manufacturer got the the pole point, but the, the drivers didn't. And I think that's only right if you've driven with somebody all year. Uh, Alan McNish and Dindo Capello, Alan was, was gutted the year that he won on his own because Dindo had driven with them all year and they'd had a fantastic year. And Alan got the championship in, in America on his own by dint of, of having one more pole position. Um, which was with worth a point, and I think I think endurance racing that that shouldn't that shouldn't happen. But anyway, go on. Uh, Derek Bell and Hans Joachim Stuck, nineteen eighty six. Right. Okay. Uh, excellent stuff. Moving uh, on, and they were in the same car, of course. Uh, but yeah. uh, Derek Bell did fewer races. Oh really? Yes. Excellent. He, uh, he listen to midweek motorsport. Listen to midweek motorsport. Um, your tweets coming through. Uh, I've already retweeted the picture from Alan Prosser. He has found the screen grab uh, of Ad Davidson's trophy. Uh, Hugh Deshawn acts a pretty sweet deal in the WEC in the moment. Every prototype on the grid has a lineage to uh, Hugh Deshawn, except the two. From the White Rose County, that's the Genetis, of course. Uh, given the F1 sustainability statement this week, the Hyper Evo regs are bound ahead in Peugeot's direction. Re- electrification, zero carbon performance. Shall we start a BMW room and now we'll leave it there? Very good. Right, where would you like to go? Uh, I would like to uh, go to America now. Uh, well, because, well, we're here. well, you we're are, and here. that's why I'm going to let you and Shay talk about this, and I'm going to sit back and listen. Um, All right. NASCAR season finale coming up. Yes, absolutely. We know the final four, Shay Adam. Welcome to the show. The show. We know the final four for NASCAR, which is in your neck of the woods this weekend down at uh, down at Homestead in in Miami uh, after um, well, an interesting. Uh, final qualifying race Denny Hamlin needed to win the race to make the playoffs he's had a heck of a year I mean winner of the Daytona 500 for the second time that's nothing to sneeze at but he needed to win the race at Phoenix and that's exactly what happened so congratulations to Joe Gibbs racing three out of four cars in the final four belong to his organization the only one who doesn't really fit in that mix would be Kevin Harvick trying to get another championship for uh, Stuart Haas racing uh, so we've knocked it down to that those last four then. Uh, a bit of work being done on Miami down through the years to open up a second and sometimes even a third yeah. groove uh, in that banking, the way they've graduated the banking. Um, 
what we've seen this year in the playoffs is is pretty much domination um, by a, a, a couple of teams, which has dropped down to one team, actually. Now, is that good for the sport? Uh, it, it's nothing new. It's just the name of the dominating team changes year on year. We've had Hendricks as the powerhouse team in years before. I'm surprised there was no Hendricks drivers uh, in in the showdown? Flabbergasted, to be honest. Uh, I can't remember the last time we had a NASCAR Final Four where there wasn't a Penske and there wasn't a Hendricks fighting mm. for the championship. That in itself speaks volumes. But you've got Martin Truex Jr., a guy who won a championship for a different team. He switched allegiances when Furniture Row Racing disappeared last oh, year. Yeah, yeah. They're back. Well, not they're back, but he's back to his championship winning ways this year. With the new team, you've got Kyle Busch, you've got Denny Hamlin, you've got Kevin Harvick. It's an interesting Final Four because the only one of them who's really well-liked by the public is Martin Truex Jr. Everyone else is sort of seen as a bad boy. So it's a very weird uh, discrepancy going on for the Final Four. And Sunday at the end of the race, the last time that the final race takes place at Homestead Miami Speedway for the foreseeable future, it's going to be three quarters chance that the public isn't happy with the champion. Um, it, it It's become the traditional finale now down at Homestead and it gets a decent crowd. It does. There's so many people. I mean, think about it, John, the season starts off in Daytona. It starts in Florida. It ends in Florida, just 280 miles South of where it kicks off. That's going to change for next year with the finale coming in Phoenix. That's a huge change to how everything is going to play out. The fact that's that, a very different racetrack at Phoenix as well. They're both mile and a half. They're both oval, but you can abuse the track limits a lot more at Phoenix. There's no wiggle room in terms of um, there's two grooves at Homestead. The second groove gets worn in. There's about 27 grooves at Phoenix that you can do going around that track. So it's a very different place and it doesn't have the allure. I'm sorry. People do not dream about going on vacation to Phoenix, Arizona, like they do coming to South Beach, Florida. So you've got that difference also coming. And by the way, Homestead is quite far from South Beach. It's about an hour drive with mm. no traffic. Mm -hmm. So people can get rid of that illusion on their own as well. I had to actually help uh, Lachelle Seymour get uh, turned around in the right direction to figure out where a good hotel would be. The Ford PR rep going down to Homestead this weekend. Uh, is it closer, says Tim, uh, on the, the chart here, is it closer than the F1 track is? Actually, no, probably. It's about the same, Tim. Actually, it's about the same because if you come down the turn, the turnpike runs just by the Hard Rock Stadium and then you would have to take the turnpike down 95 versus coming up the turnpike in 95. It's about the same the same distance. It's a lot uh, less stressful to come from Homestead, though. Now, there's only four drivers can win the title, but of course, more than that, everybody in the race can win the race. Are we likely to see some team orders going on here? And if so, who's going to be the spoilers? Um, yes, anyone can win the race, but I don't believe anyone else has won the race since they've changed it to this format. It's always been the champion who comes home as the winning car. I, I can remember going, I think it was Jimmy Johnson's second championship. I went to that race and somebody else might've been Truex actually was victorious in the race, but Jimmy came home with the championship and it was very confusing having two cars doing burnouts on the quite tight front straight of Homestead. Um, but it's it's a great track and atmosphere and party area for them to 
fit to finish out the season. It's going to be sad, though, at the end of the day, when all those people who come down to Homestead for the finale realize they're not going to be making the annual pilgrimage next year. Uh, I think that's a, an interesting move by NASCAR, as you said, to move that. It's be, And the, the point I said about it becoming a tradition, it only becomes a tradition because you keep doing it. And the danger is when you break that off, you, you're having to establish something new in a very different venue. And I, I don't know what the thinking is behind that. I, I presume there's some contractual, um, some contra- something contractual there. The only thing that I can think is maybe people have gotten too complacent with the event being the last one of the year. They've they've just gotten in the pattern of, oh, well, I can go next year. I can't go this year, but I can go next year. If you're too comfortable with it being a guaranteed thing and then it goes away, you miss it and you realize how much you want to go back. Maybe the finale moves to Phoenix for a couple of years and then comes back to Homestead. Could happen. But Homestead is still running a race. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, the Homestead Miami Speedway is still going to play host to a Monster Energy Cup Series race. It's either in March or in early April. It's oh, close. so it's not even a playoff race then? No, and it's close to Sebring. So that could be an interesting doubleheader too. Oh, that's, that might work. Um, we're coming up towards the break. Uh, and before we go at the break, we'll take some sad news from the States. Uh, at the weekend, Cher, Jeremy and I were at the uh, Michelin IMSA sports car Encore uh, and sad to report that uh, in the race itself, Dr. Tim George, the Austin, Texas neurosurgeon uh, and respected gentleman racer, and uh, both of those words, respected and gentleman, are exceptionally apposite when it comes down to Dr. Tim, uh, had a medical emergency while he was competing uh, on track. He was around about midway through the four-hour race. It was just after the two-hour mark. We'd got through the first couple of hours without any issues. Uh, And then we had a full-course caution. We didn't know what that was for other than it was a medical emergency in the pit lane. And very sadly, we found out afterwards when we were leaving the circuit that uh, Dr. Tim had brought the car back into the pits, that uh, he was not feeling very well, brought into the pits, uh, and didn't quite get to his pit, but uh, track medical crew immediately started work on him, and he got they got him to the hospital at Sebring, but unfortunately, uh, he was dead at the hospital. The cause of death as yet has not been uh, announced. Neil Albarico and John Brownson, uh, they went out for a little while in that car, but then, of course, uh, as soon as the news was passed back to them, although not to everybody else at the, the racetrack, uh, the car was withdrawn we remember him, of course, from the open cockpit uh, IMSA lights days. Doughty competitor, loved his race. Not always a full season competitor, but when he was there, he was going to make sure he had as much fun as possible and very competitive. Very much so. Somebody who was always in the Masters category in those open cockpit cars. Uh, he did some Grand Ams, some NASCAR races, but his love was Sebring. And he always, always ran the Sebring race when the LMP3 cars were there just to get a little bit more track time. And like you said, an Austin native. So he made the trip out to come to the Encore. Sebring was the only racetrack that he ran at this year, John. He ran the uh, hour 45 minute race earlier in the year back in March. And then he ran the Encore. Uh, there's uh, a lot of uh, very sad people in the IMSA paddock and much further beyond. We, of course, uh, pass on our condolences to all of the friends, families and acquaintances of Dr. Tim George, who uh, lost his life 
uh, uh, died, what we believe, of national co natural causes. That's still to be uh, determined. But in the pit lane at Sebring, I, I have a feeling, uh, I mean, he's far too young. He was only just a couple of years older than me. But uh, he was doing something he enjoyed. He was finishing his stint, uh, literally as well as metaphorically. And uh, we pass on all the best to his family. Dr. Tim George, who died last weekend at Sebring. Midweek Motorsport. And don't you dare switch off now, because the next hour's going to be even better. Oh, that's new. I haven't heard that before. Live from yes, the Circuit of the Americas. Have a look here. Live from the Circuit of the Americas. Uh, it is Midweek Motorsport. Tim Grace up in London. Share Adam joins uh, me here in our broadcast booth. Um, we are still awaiting TV podcast gear. It's been held systems, but it'll be here in time. I've been told, and when we'll be live across the weekend for, for the practice qualifying and, of course, the whole race. Still to come in the second hour, more sports car news, a bit more of share, and, of course, your tweets. But next, it's the big interview with Evo Breukers on Midweek Motorsports. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. So we're here at quarter for the weekend's event. And just before we came on air today, I caught up with Evo Broikus, who was in the signing on area where all of the uh, radical uh, USA competitors were getting their checks done at the time. And he graciously decided to give us some of, our t of his time because he's a very busy man this weekend. So I started off by asking if he was excited, looking forward to the weekend. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I missed it last year. So uh, now I'm back and I'm thrilled. Um, it's a bit colder than we were expecting. Is that going to cause any problems? I uh, don't know yet. I think it's good for the brakes. So for the car and, and racing-wise, I don't think so. It's just a little bit more uncomfortable. It's really cold, yes. <laughs> it's... I could have stayed in the UK to have weather like this, is what we always say, Evo. Um, when you look back now at the 2019 season, um, for, for you, for the Red Camel Jordan team and for the Graventic organisation, how do you assess 2019? Um, it has been a good year. Of course, uh, some races we would have wished uh, higher numbers, but I think still the quality of racing and uh, the organisation and, and, and the fun we have... and. The, the, the extra things we're offering for, for the drivers and teams. Uh, it has been great, a great experience, and I'm looking forward already for next year. Adding a, a new hospitality offering in the, the paddock area, that, that's been a, a, a big step forward, and I hear lots of positive comments from that. Yes, that's true, and uh, it's really cosy, and it's nice to, to be there. It's good to the atmosphere, and uh, of course, high quality of food and, and, and drinks, and uh, we're even looking uh, for next year to, uh, to upgrade it a little bit more. Can you believe, when you look at this season, what you've achieved in such a relatively short time in motor racing? When we first started uh, a few years ago, the quality of entry uh, has gone up massively. I remember thinking in Mugello when I was looking down the pit lane and looking at all the trucks and the quality of cars were there. I mean, we would have looked at that as a, as a full European or even a world championship not so very long ago. That's kind for you to say. It's 
also a little bit of worry for us as well. Uh, the level has gone up a lot. Uh, we have uh, high high class teams, um, so it, it it needs enough and different uh, approach. Uh, so we are struggling with that to see how we can um, uh, offer the best uh, experiences for for all people involved. It means a little bit more more uh, proish teams and and of course the the amateur and gentleman drivers, which uh, are a big part of a championship. The whole landscape of endurance racing around the world has exploded with GT4, GT3, TCR. You're involved with all of those, of course. But there are so many places that people can take these cars. So what can you do to make them want to come and race in Creventnik and the Hancock 24-hour series? You're absolutely right. It's um, If you see around, if you, the difference with, with five or ten years ago is, is, is massive. Um, before we only had in the winter time the, the 24 hours of Dubai, that was the only option to, to race uh, at, at the levels we are, we are looking at. Uh, at the moment, uh, people can race all over the world in all kinds of different championships and all kinds of different races and um, new initiatives are coming popping up all the time. And um, what, what we at Creventic are doing is uh, trying to, to get the best out of ourselves, trying to listen uh, very carefully to our customers and see what they want and, and, and offer them the best experience we, we can. And we're working very hard. And uh, I think the, the, the main difference is for us is, is, is the, the atmosphere also among the, the teams itself. Uh, if you look at, if you look back in all those years, it's remarkable that we have, I think, only one or two protests in in in, in all those years. And uh, if you see it nowadays, uh, a lot of championships are being decided behind the, the jury table. Um, I think, uh, uh, yes, and, and, and hours or sometimes days after the checkered flag, which I know is very frustrating for all of our listeners and anyone who's a, a fan of the sport. You guys don't operate like that. You never have done. It's, it's, a, it's a matter of respect, I think, for each other, not only for the teams among the, uh, themselves, but also to the organization. And uh, as long as we listen to each other and, and try to figure out what, what they, they want, or what, they, what, what is really important. And for us, racing is important. We want to have uh, lots of track time, a lot of racing in a very good atmosphere. The calendar has been out for a little while, for 2020. Um, there's a, a few detail changes. But how important is it that you keep listening then to the people in the paddock? Because quite clearly some of the changes you have made have been driven by the people in the paddock. There's some new places to try, um, including a new circuit for the, the Alsace event. But also the old favourites are there. People like going to Barcelona for the 24 hours. They love coming here and racing on the Formula One track. You've got to get that balance right, haven't you? Um, yes, yeah, speaking of that, uh, we might even up to uh, one or two changes as well still in the calendar. Uh, not everything has been settled yet right. and uh, it also has uh, to do with a part of it, uh, listening to the customers of course. And um, But the other thing is we also would like to distinguish ourselves from others. And uh, if you look at a big championship, everybody's going to the same places. So I think it's also good to, to try something else. Yes. And, uh, also to have a look at, for example, some vintage tracks as well, yes, and uh, yeah, some some new things. And uh, but I heard Dijon mentioned at one point. Uh, we are looking at different places. <laughs> of course, there's a lot of lot of different interesting places. Uh, Estoril, for example, I never raced there as well, and uh, it has some a great heritage. 
Um, I've, I've done racing at uh, Estoril before. I've commentated there. Lovely place to go, and you pick the right time of the year there, which is most of the year, of course. But to take it out of the main season, it's still a lovely place to go. It is, it is. But there are many more places to mm. which which are, are, are really nice. Uh, of course, also we're looking to do, to bigger circuits like Imola, Red Bull. Um, mm. Uh, they're getting more and more hard to book, especially for our endurance racing. There's always the noise thing, which is a problem. So we are trying to make a good balance, listening to the customers and, and see what's possible for us. That was my next question, actually, about how you've dealt down through the years with noise restrictions at track. It started all off at Zandvoort, of course, where we split the race there so that you could do it at, at your own Dutch circuit. Um, do you still believe that that's the right option to do that or do you have to now look and what are your customers telling you are they saying we want to do full 12 hours or 24 hour races without the break what are they saying we have great different individuals and everybody has a different opinion um, for some circuits it's the only solution to, to go there I think the first circuit was Mugello and, Mugello yes uh, we yeah. were we, has, we have hesitated a long time before deciding to do it uh, because we, we thought it's not really an endurance race. It should be just one, one part of racing. But we did it. And what we found out is that after the Friday three or four hour race, everybody stopped. The mechanics would look at each other. They didn't, didn't know what to do. <laughs> and everybody going for the, for the great Italian food, have some drinks, have a good time. And everybody was still in the race. So all the conversation, you see all the teams around that were talking about the race and about strategy. And uh, it was fascinating to see. And now I think it's, it's maybe one of the nice things about racing in Korea to, to have such a strange uh, solution for racing a track which usually cannot uh, host such a race. No, I, I agree with that. And, and here, I know that you had long discussions with the track and the track had long discussions with the local yeah. authorities. Um, it, it seems, it will seem strange to some people that we have to stop racing here, Evo, because of the proximity to the airport. You would think, well, you know, that must be noisy. But actually, they don't fly very much after nine o'clock at night because they have the same restrictions. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, we were talking about it too when we were heading for this track. And if you look around, you you think, yeah, nobody um, nobody could care. They make a little bit of noise. Um, but it's the way it is, and um, still seem to be some, some options to talk to the local government. Uh, we tried to push it. On the other hand, I also hear from people traveling from Europe that they welcome this, this little rest in between. It's very civilized. It's very civilized. I remember in 2017 when I raced with you here, it was very civilized indeed. You said that was, there was a, a couple of places you would like to have had more entries. Uh, a new... Uh, concept for this year was the TCR Spa 500 great concept fabulous racing ultimately were you rather disappointed that your Kravendik TCR teams turned out but we didn't see quite so many coming from other TCR championships around Europe and the world Yes, it might change. Uh, I think uh, some other TCR championships will release their um, calendar next, uh, next, next week or even this week. And we will have some combination with some, some uh, local sprint uh, TCR championships. So that, that would help a, a lot. It was also the first time and still um, it was a 23-hour race. So mm. um, it's not, not cheap to do it. And, um, so that, but you proved the concept, didn't you? And that, that's important and that's what you guys have done quite often down th who, who knew what Dubai was going to start out 
10, 13 years ago. Absolutely. It, it was also a brilliant race and we had a lot of fun. And uh, I think the, it was very well received, especially also the parade to Malmody. Yes. It was really great. And uh, I, I hope for next uh, next editions we will only have more more teams. And uh, this could be a very one-off uh, race and the, 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 could be the pinnacle of uh, endurance racing in TCR. It's a bit like the sort of World Cup of TCR, isn't it, really? We could possibly say, I can say that, I know you can't. Um, another new thing for next year is you're combining with um, the Nürburgring Nordschleife guys with who do VLN, and we've been involved with those guys for a little while. Now, we've got to say straight away, you're not going out on the Nordschleife, it's just going to be on the Grand Prix circuit. Um, yes, yes, so we're still discussing with, uh, with VLN, uh, we have some issues with uh, spaces and um, we have to work together and at the moment uh, it's not not looking that well um, because we cannot host a, a race from the paddock. Uh, uh-huh. In endurance racing we need to have pit boxes. Um, so we are still dealing with that and it's not looking that, uh, that well. Uh, we are flexible, we want to work together. Uh, that's also what we um, what we what we uh, told them when we were invited to see if we uh, could do the same weekend. And they were very excited about it. I saw their press release, and I've spoken to some of their people, and they're very excited. Uh, I mean, it's a change for them too because they extend their meeting, which is normally a single day event, uh, and they've been very excited about that too. So it, it's good that people want to talk to you, though, Ivo, surely. Yeah, but that's also why we were so surprised lately when we really got to the points and to see what were what. Mm. what is necessary for for both uh, parties to to have a successful weekend uh, we were excited as well uh, it's, it's good that, that both theories get to know each other uh, maybe there will some overlap from teams with doing both uh, which is good some uh, of our teams could be interested to do the VLAN uh, a few races as well and maybe other people in VLAN could look at us uh, but we need a sensible um, uh, cooperation and if that's not there uh, we, we need to offer a certain basic standard to our customers. They are used to that. And uh, we don't mind to have uh, uh, five or six cars in one box. We know that's, that is usual over there. We have no other solution. But uh, to work from the paddock is impossible. And uh, so uh, we have to take a serious look at that. And there are people listening in the UK who will kill me if I don't ask you this question. What about coming back to the UK? You've had a, a, a great... Uh, a, a great history with Silverstone and there's a lot of fans of endurance racing uh, in the UK and even if it's not Silverstone are you still considering coming back the, to the UK? Uh, we, we love Silverstone um, personally I, I, I love the track also the heritage and, and the history being made there and if you come there you, 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 you feel it you, you feel it from your bones and, and, and I think we need to, to be back um, unfortunately it's not easy to have a race uh, in summertime, also again for the noise. So mm. we might could talk maybe about split race. We never talked about that in mm. Silverstone um, because maybe you remember the last races in Silverstone as well. It was a uh, freezing almost at oh, night, yes. and uh, we have to take that in consideration as well. And uh, so the whole package should should fit. Um, maybe for, for me, what's interesting every time we go to Silverstone with, with Creventic down through the years, because that's my local circuit, I kind of almost take it for granted. And when I hear people get, saying, "Oh, it's great to come to Silverstone, home of the British Grand Prix, home of British Motor," and I kind of go, "Yeah, I've got to remind myself of that." And that's what your customers are still telling you, isn't it? It is. It is. We have many customers asking about that. Also, they ask about Brexit and this kind of things. But uh, I, I would not be. I would not have been worried about that. Uh, that could all be figured out. 
But um, yeah, it, it's it's one of the circuits we need to go to. But it's not easy to to fix the calendar. Yes. Uh, you have first have to, to look at the circuits you want to go. Then you have to see which weekends they are available, and it should not clash too much with other series. Yeah. We're really looking at that to to avoid clashes as much as possible. And then the circuit should be available as well. And uh, it's a, it's a big 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 jigsaw puzzle. And uh, uh, we have Helen is, is working. Uh, month and weeks about it and then some, sometimes then you have options and the options disappear because another bigger event is going to, to decide to go to another so it's really 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 very difficult and if we're talking about iconic venues there's no more iconic, iconic venue than the Monza in Italy what a feather in the cap that was and my understanding there Evo is, is that they were very interested and actually approached Creventic to see if you would like to go there yeah, that's right. Uh, we're very, very proud of that. Uh, many years ago, we approached them, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember sitting there and, and coming on the circuit. You see, also the the, the old uh, the old bank. Uh, yeah, really, and and all those races. It's it's a very typical circuit, also in the middle of Monza itself. So it's it's really really nice, and I'm so happy that we uh, found a solution together to uh, to host the event over there. And many 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 teams are thrilled to to go there, and I'm looking myself forward as well to to go there. And just to finish off then, um, on the general side of things, before I ask a couple of questions about the way it ends. So if 2019 was good, are you happy then about how 2020 is looking? I know we have to have a somewhat of a crystal ball and make some predictions uh, about that. But already I hear entries are... Uh, coming in for Dubai as we expect and from the people I've spoken to the calendar has excited a lot of people for 2020. Yes it is it is we might improve a little bit more um, but uh, we're looking very confident forward to uh, to next season uh, we are aiming to have the same amount of uh, grid as, as last year and trying to uh, to improve that of course we we will keep on working trying to keep them improving to to offer the best experience teams can have in racing at Creventic so uh, for that reason, uh, we, are look- we, are, we, we are happy. Um, maybe one point about our entry list, because uh, we are quite different from all the other organizers. We are putting our entry list already from the beginning on our uh, websites. Mm. And uh, all people are reg- who are uh, registered on the website, they, they, they see the names. And what we see always in the last few months or weeks for before a race, some teams unfortunately cannot um, have not enough drivers and found the, 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 the drivers and cannot participate so then it sometimes it feels that, that the, the numbers are dropping yeah. um, but we do just a little bit different than other organizers if you look here uh, in Sebring and Corp for example they and, and most of the organizers only uh, issue the entry list a few weeks before the event yeah. maybe we should do it as well but we want to be transparent and you, you see in the involvement as well and, and it also uh, enables teams to, to show themselves they are interested to do a 24-hour race or 12-hour race, and that's a, a one way to find uh, drivers. But generally, I'm, I'm looking very much forward to, to next year, and uh, we have a lot of nice circuits, and we, we are looking forward to a very nice uh, time for, for racing. Let's focus in on the weekend here. Circuit of the Americas, super track. Uh, I know sometimes people don't like it when they watch the Formula One here. They say it's a bit Mickey Mouse, but for GT cars and for TCR cars, it's a really technical circuit. Getting a, a perfect lap here is almost as difficult as getting a perfect lap around the Nordschleifer, and it's nowhere near as long. It's a really tough track to learn, and it's a, I find this a, a very rewarding track when you get it right. 
Yeah, is it right? I remember you coming out of your Aston Martin two years ago. And you were really thrilled and then sweating all over, but also very enthusiastic about the track. It is a man's track. It's very, very tough. Um, if you look from the air, it looks like a billiard yes. uh, table. But it isn't. You know, it isn't. And uh, I've heard from Formula One it's even a little bit more tougher. So let's see how the GTs and touring cars will uh, adapt to that. Maybe you have to, to, to change the setup a little bit. Uh, but it's a fantastic track. Uh, you have the 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 the, the yeses in the in, in the beginning. You have the, it starts with the, the turn one. Yes. Uh, you 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 you're looking at the, at the sky. Then you have to turn in. Then the yeses. Uh, it's very tough on the car as well. I remember from two years ago there were some issues with suspension uh, yes. problems. If you do if you do not take the corner right, then then you you end up uh, hitting the car, the suspension very hard. So uh, you have to be clever to uh, to get to the end. And keep the left front tyre uh, working correctly as well. I learned that pretty early, and that was a good lesson uh, to learn. Um, finally, about this weekend, continuing your great relationship here with Hankook, and what a partner they've been for the last few years. Yes, absolutely. If you look at the, at the quality of the tyres as well, and uh, they're really working very close together with us and also with the teams. Um, they were very much in, in, in touch with the teams to ask which tyres they want and when they have. And, and also the engineers, the, the technicians, they're great in helping teams to find the, the best setup. Evo, hey, wish you all the best for the weekend on and off the track. And thanks for having us here and uh, have a good weekend. Thank you, John. Thank you very much for having me. Eva Breukers talking to me earlier on today in uh, an atmosphere that was already, as a number of you, including Dr. Bayo Ben, have noticed is already sounding like a fun atmosphere. It's a fantastic interview. I love the sound of the 24-hour series. It feels like everyone's there to have a great time, already having a great time, and they've barely been out on the track uh, yet. It will get serious. Shea Adam is alongside me. 24, 27 cars in total. A couple short of what we expected. And Evo just mentioning why that sometimes happens getting closer to the events. I know that the, the Bonk Racing BMW was looking for some drivers. I rather cheekily said, shall I bring my race kit? Still waiting for an answer. Um, God, I think that's a bit unfair. Um, how does... Uh, how does that break down? Do we know in, in the classes or it'll be a six is obviously at the, at the front. We don't know yet because we don't know all the drivers for all of the cars yet. So they can't give us a final classification as to whether somebody is a six pro or am, but it looks like we're going to have more pro cars than am cars, which yeah. is a, a good breakout for them. And as uh, Evo was saying in that interview there, that actually, you know, uh, they've got to make sure that they're still servicing the, the amateur drivers, which they certainly, certainly do. Um, Black Falcon, they come to every race as a favorite. And bringing definitely a fan favorite lineup. Whenever you've got Ben Keating and you come to this place, you've got a really good shot at winning. He's won four times here in the last six years, I want to say. Yeah, since 2013. Uh, so a very accomplished driver at Circuit of the Americas just gets the rhythm of this place. And he's done this race a couple of times. He hasn't had the luck yet. Uh, and Ben, of course... Uh, is going to be with us at uh, Daytona as well because he is in the Michelin Endurance Cup, um, just jumping back to IMSA for a moment. Uh, and he told you that you'd definitely see him at Daytona, and he wasn't lying. No, he wasn't. And he has signed up for the entire Michelin Endurance Championship. So he will be in the 74 with Gar Robinson and Lawson Oshenbach, winners of the Encore. Um, they are 
they mentioned in passing they're hoping to get Jerome Blake Mullen in the car for Daytona. Well, that would mean two gold drivers, a silver and a bronze. So that would mean that they still need another bronze driver. There you go, John. You can do Daytona with them. Could just take it out whenever there's a a, a yellow flag. Um, so who are going to be the major competitors for Black Falcon then? As we say, once you've got them on the the list, you're always gonna your eyes always gonna stop with those guys. Um, but we've we've got some uh, more IMSA refugees, if you like, <laughs> because we're in Texas, uh, and that means coming down from Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex is uh, the Park Place guys uh, and you know they know which way is open how to run a car park place with volt racing so it's a dual effort from that team it's the park place porsche though trent Hinman and alan brynjolfsson they've driven together for two years now very handy duo and champions in one of the world challenge or whatever they're called now uh championships this year they're joined by spencer pompelli and richard highstand wow. it's going to be a fun car to keep an eye on highstand stepping away from the lexus drive there then yes yes that uh, relationship terminated at the checkered flag at Petit Le Mans, and he has already moved away. We don't know where he'll be next year, whether he'll be back in the U.S. or abroad. Keep in mind, he won the Aiken Award this year, so he has a Le Mans entry up his mm-hmm. sleeve. So that makes him a valuable asset for certain teams. Maybe this is a courting that we're seeing going on. Um, if that is the competition for Black Falcon from outside the regulars in the 24-hour series, we've got a couple, of course, that will be there or thereabouts. Um Car Collection, Herbeth, and of course CP Racing, American team, back on home ground. Exactly. And we saw this car at Barcelona for the 24 hours. Shane Lewis had to step out of the role because of an injury. Darren Law came in and performed admirably mm-hmm. in his stead. Well, Shane is back this weekend, rejoining Joe Foster and the two Charleses, Espen Love and Putman. So they're going to be a good organization to watch for maybe just sneaking through to take a victory. But it is that Herbeth car that we always have to keep an eye on. They're always fast around here remember it was just two years ago that they had that big win where they also placed well in the championship so they're going to be fan favorites too Uh, and a couple of mercedes as well from uh talk sport yeah and this is interesting i really like t-o-k sport yeah like tiktok yeah yes um this i really like because lucas stoles is driving in one of the cars He's driven with Bleak Mullen and Keating in the Endurance Championship in IMSA. And uh, also, I think he did Le Mans with them at one point. Could be wrong about that. But he's been the third driver for them. Now he's coming back in a Mercedes against them at Ben's track. So that's going to be an interesting thing to watch how that all plays out. The second car, which is entered in AM, has Nick Foster in it, a pro driver from Australia who has done one race so far in the U.S. this year. That was the California 8-hour which he won in a Ferrari, and he's going to be in a Mercedes this time. So that's going to be a good car too. Uh, That's just the top class, of course. Uh, There are some great battles uh, through the field. Uh, TCRs, Red Camel Jordan. We've got Monlau competition coming back. Monlau, the the school, the... um, what is the word I'm I'm looking for? Where they, they do all the uh, apprenticeships uh, outside of Barcelona. Uh, and, uh, of course, the man who founded that is Mark Marquez's and Alex Marquez's uh, manager uh, on that. Uh, and that's Speedworks. Now, that's nice because that's, a, that's another IMSA team coming to support this race. I know it's not an IMSA race, but they've brought their Honda Civic TCR here and pitting themselves up against the Europeans and the world teams. 
love to see this. Brian Henderson and Todd Lambert, the two drivers who were in the Michelin Pilot Challenge all year long, they were the steadfast guys. Best finish was fourth for them that they could muster on the year. They've drafted in Taylor Hegler and Barry Bowes, two amateur drivers also from the U.S. So this is an all-U.S. lineup. It's going to be a solid car, and it's their first real endurance race. So we're going to get a good taste on what these guys can do, not over a maximum of four hours, but over 11 hours on the first day and 13 on the second. That's a good point. We do split up. Uh, We'll have audio coverage of the the first free practice, and then it's sound and vision after that. Top Car Sport with Baz Kooten Racing. They've got a Cooper in uh, for Antti Burry, who's the undoubted... Uh, star in that, although Kenny Packy Laksonen has been very quick as well. Uh, AC Motorsport are back with their Audi and they've had some cracking runs this year. They've been really tied down, quite dominant at times. They had that big DNF at Barcelona though, and that was the last time out. A mechanical mm-hmm. failure leading to a crash on the left front, so they're going to be looking to bounce back. Another team, another couple of teams that we're not as familiar with, John, because they don't run on the IMSA schedule, but have come out to run this weekend. We've got ST Racing in their BMW M4. They run in World Challenge or whatever the iteration is now called. I'm I'm very bad at the name. But they've got Harry Gottsacker in their number 388 BMW. He drove with them in the endurance races this year, and he's somebody we know from Hyundai who's very capable. Well, this is a GT4 car. Also, you've got Anthony Lazaro in, who's a former uh, American Le Mans Series uh, competitor from Georgia, from around about Atlanta, if I remember. Uh, so he's a doubty competitor uh, as well. Races Edge are back. And they're another one who have been running over in World Challenge, as well as USRD. Those are two different cars. We've got the Sin for Racer's Edge, and we've got a Janetta for USRD. So that's going to be a little bit of good variation. for. And is that what USRD run across in World Challenge? Yes. Yes. It's the same car uh, that they have James Lee and who is it? Jean-Francois Bruneau are their two drivers over there who do most of the driving. Uh, Winwood Racing are here uh, with Bryce and... Uh, his son, Russell. And who's the, who's the other drivers in there? Uh, they've got Philip Ellis, who's a semi-pro driver. He's Audi TT it, Cup yeah. champion in 2017. And they're joined by Chris Wilson, who is a very capable coach and driver. And actually, in doing research in him, I realized that he's got a Bachelor of Science in Education and Coaching. So not only is he probably the best coach in the paddock, he's got the degree to prove it. And just running through a couple of others, the Jorgensen Storm BMW is back. Zorgren Sport do have one BMW here. And Black Falcon, we've mentioned. Uh, Leipzig Motorsport have got the Huracan. Oise have got the Mark II V8 with Jim Briodi. And is this his 124 hour race? And apparently his last, unless he oh. was selling us a lie at Barcelona in which he told Mr. Marriott that uh, he was going to retire at a nice even 124 hour races. Caught Oysa in that car as well. Uh, the 240i Racing Cup from Zorg, Rensport here. Kelly Moss Motorsport are here. We'll finish with this one. Alan Metney, who has been brilliant in the Ibsa Porsche Carrera Cup uh, USA by Yohama in that car as well. Joined by the Ducotis. Yes, all of them. There's Chapman and David who are sharing with Father Wayne, but it's their fifth driver that they've got in their car, their ace up the sleeve, Mr. Andrew Davis, who's mm. going to prove to be good. He's been a coach for Kelly Moss Road and Race for a long time. Now they're throwing him the keys and saying, take her for a lap, see what you can do. Porsche Laureate Racing with a cup car. 
uh, along with Speed Lover and MRS GT Racing, uh, will be battling forever uh, in that. And delighted to see a friend of ours in that MRS GT Racing number 980. Dr. Alex Marmorano, who we met at Long Beach and had a lovely conversation with him in a Porsche dealership, John. Do you remember? And before that, the last time I'd seen him was halfway up the mountain at Pikes Peak. Exactly. So perfectly bonkers guy. He's coming out here to do this race. And he is a heart and lung surgeon out in California, but he is also a massive Porsche fan. Oh, yes. So he's going to have a lot of fun racing against the four other cars in that category. Catch all the action this weekend. First session uh, on the radio, and then we've got some sound and vision for you. Half an hour of the show to go. You're listening to Midweek Motorsports Series uh, number 14, uh, episode 43. And Tim wants to do this. That music means we're going to talk about some films and one particular film that's out this weekend, Ford versus Ferrari, or depending on what part of the world you're in, Le Mans 1966, stars Matt Damon and Christian Bale, among others. And uh, tomorrow night on uh, RS1, we have a special preview programme for that. Uh, but tonight... Uh, we have a little extract from that preview programme and I got to talk to Christian Bale. I started by asking him about the relationship between Ken Miles and Carroll Shelby. First and foremost, I think that everybody viewed him as a mechanic because he was wonderful as such. But Shelby really saw his talents as a racer and he was a real purist when it came to that. He didn't compromise in the slightest and that was both his saving grace and his... Achilles heel as well um, because you know throughout his life he'd shot himself in the foot many times because of his desire to never lose any battle but through 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 winning battles Ken Miles often lost the war and for the first time with Shelby he actually had somebody who thought strategically um, and who was supportive of him and behind him so what were the goals for the film? Why do men risk this? You know, what is it? And trying to understand, and that was one of the real um, goals of the film, is to, how can you get an audience who may never have gone around a racetrack to try to understand the thrill that these men get, the, 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 the feeling of being alive in such a raw manner? Um, that they do it in spite of the fact that they're very likely to die doing it. So you play Ken Miles. What did you find out? What, what have you learned about his character? He's somebody who's got no money. The IRS is taking everything from him. Um, and it's not about that for him. You know, it's, it's, it's not about just making money. It's about, you know, well-being and happiness. Uh, for Ken Miles. He sees other drivers come by and get the sponsorships, the younger, better-looking guys that he's looking at in the rearview mirror. They're always the ones getting hired by the big guns in the racing world, and he never is. But he still keeps going. He still keeps going. He never gives up. It's certainly something that drives Ken Miles, is this idea of perfection, of a perfect lap. Um, 
it changes obviously as technology improves cars, but within a certain car, there is such a thing as a perfect lap, you know? If you can take it right to the edge without sliding it, then you, you're doing the absolute top speed that you possibly can. Is it more difficult for you as an actor to play a real-life character rather than uh, someone fictitious from a script? Oh, it's such a great luxury, you know. Some people talk about, oh, it's a bit more intimidating when you've got a real character. I find it the opposite. I think it's really liberating because, you know, there, there, there are eccentricities and mannerisms that real people have that if you were just inventing them for yourself, you might seem like you're just being an egotistical actor who's trying to you know, steal screen time or something, which really is the opposite of being a team player and wanting a good film. But when there are real people, you go, my God, they really did that. They really had that attitude. I never would have had the guts to just suggest that to a director. But there it is, plain and bold, it's the truth. And so I find there's a great liberation in doing that, um, in playing, you know, a real person. And obviously you're working alongside Matt Damon, uh, in this film, who plays Carol Shelby. How similar are you and Matt to the characters you play? Our approach to uh, acting is sort of similar to uh, uh, the differences uh, between our characters as well, between Shelby, who is uh, uh, more strategic and understanding of the bigger picture, versus Miles, who's just sort of doing his thing. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, often uh, uh, burning bridges and creating scorched earth, but just sort of feeling like, hey, that's the only way he knows how to do it. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed uh, working with Matt, and I think it was a great relationship that then uh, actually helped play into uh, uh, our characters. What have you learned about the characters that were in uh, this film, the, the racing drivers of the 1960s? They didn't know if they could stop at that time, you know? I mean, nowadays, brakes are by far the most powerful you know, part of, of any car. But in those days, they were flying down that Mulsanne Strait at 230 miles an hour. Now, I don't know what top speed you've ever gone at. I know on my motorcycle, when I looked, because I usually just would tape it over because I didn't want to know, but when I did look... It's like 153, and I felt like I was going to go to the moon. 230 miles an hour in the 60s when they weren't really sure if they were going to be able to stop at the end of that. You know, what type of man is willing to do that? That's a fascinating man, and that's worth making a film about. So we've been talking a lot about the characters, particularly Ken and Carol. Is this more than a racing film? That's what Jim has done so beautifully. It does transcend being a racing movie. The races are phenomenal. They are so bloody exciting, but it is more than a racing movie. These, this is a bunch of dreamers. These are a bunch of characters who the odds are against them that most people would laugh them out of the room in saying they do not belong in this echelon, you know, uh, of racing but they persist and they never give up and that's the beauty of it because ultimately it is about these characters it is about these misfits who triumph and it is about maintaining your belief and your passion and following your dreams no matter how many missteps you take along the way that ultimately that's the only route to, to happiness and that's what makes it such a poignant film 
and brings tears to my eyes when, uh, when I watch it. Christian Bale there talking about uh, Le Mans 66, Ford versus Ferrari, uh, which is in cinemas this weekend. And we've got a special programme on RS1, a little more of Tim talking to Christian Bale. And, and others. That and others, oh, yes. OK. Uh, and now we know where you were the last few days. Uh, and uh, that will be 10 o'clock UK time tomorrow night on RS1. Correct, yes. Uh, right, Shall we do a few tweeted. tweets? Yes. Oh, yeah, go on. Uh, NASCAR starting and ending in Florida. Does that, does that mean they go round in circles? Yes. I, um, yes. Um, Dave Alcock said, I haven't watched the Shanghai WEC race. I'm a bit behind with WEC right now. Um, I'm glad Rebellion won, but I don't think how they won if what they, what, is what they'd have wanted or a lot of fans would wanted either. IMSA's rule book right now seems to work better for all concerned and give great racing, um, which leads us on to a point... Um, about the WEC in Shanghai because the race result uh, at the track and those that stood on the podium share uh, was not how it ended up in the GTE Pro. Porsche won too, right? That's the way it was on the podium? Uh, no. Of course, the number 51 was on the podium and they were thrown out because they didn't have the minimum clearance of 50 millimetres all the way across the front hence front of the car. Uh, because they were running in the an wor- illegal car. The, the, I do... I, there's two There's two points I'm going to make about this, and, I, and neither of them are really criticisms about the officials, because they've got a job to do. Um, first of all, it took a very long time. And as we heard at the top of the programme, rolling, putting a roller underneath a car, it doesn't take that amount of time, but... All of the cars are impounded and go to technical inspection, of course. The second thing was was, there'd been contact on the left side of the car during the race. Um, And it was only the left-hand side of the car that failed the ride-out test. Now, in fairness, the scrutineers did jack the car up and there was no dripping fluid or any obvious damage. The team have opted to appeal the decision although there's not that much evidence um, to support them. I'm, I'm not sure what they're going to do. Um, it's unsatisfactory for people at the track and people on telly who've watched people climb a podium, but we always say at the end of a broadcast year, the results are provisional until post-race tech. And devil's advocate, if you build a car to, and, and I'm not saying Ferrari did this in any way, no. shape, or form, but if you specifically build a car that will not pass tech post-race, i.e. a car that is a lower ride height than it's supposed to be, you can build it so that one side is lower and then have two of your cars make contact on that one side or have that one car Uh, make contact and then say, oh, well, look, something broke. So the rules are there for a reason. I get that. It's dissatisfying to a lot of the fans, for sure. But the rules are there for a reason. And you have to fix your car if you know it's if there's a problem you have to fix it before it goes through tech. This is the conversation that people were having here at Formula One when people were saying it was too bouncy. And two of the commentators in the English language commentary for Sky, Paul DeResta and Anthony Davis, were saying, why don't they just lift the ride height up a bit? Well, the, the reason they don't want to lift the ride height up a bit because they didn't want to compromise their speed down the straight. And the reason that AF Corsa is running the car so close to that 50 mil is because that's where the car works best. 
and sometimes you're going to get caught out. But, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword, really. Look at Bill Riley this year at Le Mans. We should have run a little bit less of a gap in our fuel tank so that something, if something did go wrong, we would have still been safe. That's yeah, it. absolutely. Well, th- there was still a volume versus mass thing there, but I'm not going into that again. Uh, WRC News. Nick Damon's not with us tonight. So, Tim, you can have at this one. This is actually no WRC is the news here, isn't it? It is. The FIA World Rally Championship season finale has been cancelled because of serious bushfires affecting uh, the state of New South Wales, close to Coffs Harbour, where the event is based. The organisers announced news yesterday after a widespread consultation with the state government, the FIA emergency services and the local community. It's uh, a declaration of a state of emergency uh, came uh, yesterday, a total fire ban and uh, the government describing conditions in some regions as catastrophic. Event chairman Andrew Papadopoulos said the cancellation was the only course available considering the need to take care of more than a 1,000 people involved as officials, Mm. competitors and spectators. Uh, Organisers had previously uh, prepared a revised schedule with a reduced route of 90 kilometres doing four stages over and over again, uh, including the uh, super special stage on Coffs Harbour for sure. Uh, Monday night's end-of-season WRC gala night at the National Maritime Museum in Sydney has also been cancelled. Um, you know what? Uh, there'll be people disappointed. Um, the championship was already run by Oitanak, uh, with Thierry Neuville in second place and Sebastian Auger in third. Um, those three were miles ahead of the rest. Um, it was the minor positions that were going to get um Decided Andres Mikkelsen finishes up tied. Well, he's in fourth, actually. Nelvin Evans uh, tied on one or two points, but scored in fifth. Uh, Chris down in sixth position on, on 98. But let's remind ourselves, people. Three people have lost their lives, and 150 homes um, and more have been um, destroyed. It's a sporting event. Is it disappointing? Of course it is. But let's not put other people in uh, in in harm's where a uh, quarter to 10 where tim gray is that makes it quarter to four in the afternoon here uh, the rain has stopped a little bit higher cloud i'm told that the uh te- well, the temperature's coming up lovely now i'm just in my t-shirt which is fine two layers i'm in two layers it's 39 degrees fahrenheit people this is not a drill hey, fine i'll be putting shorts on for tomorrow 39 the, fahrenheit uh, is what in proper temperature uh, five, four, five, yeah, that's fine. Four, four, oh, yeah. four. There you go. Um, coming up this weekend, of course, we've got all the action uh, from here. And where would you like to go? And, oh, and I've just heard that uh, the the rest of the party, which is uh, Johnny Palmer, Joe Bradley, and Nick Damon, uh, are have now rechecked at Dallas Fort Worth and are sitting waiting for the plane down uh, to. Uh, Austin. Well, so Johnny Palmer and uh, Joe Bradley certainly are. Nick Damon has had his uh, bag uh, uh, taken to uh, be searched. Really? Yes. Of course he has. It's lucky they landed of early. We were hoping to use that time to talk to Nick Damon about the Formula One news. Um, but and then suspect... he could have gone. Then he could have said, "Yay! Hooray! Yay! 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 Yay!" I don't do it as well as him. I know I don't. No. Um, so what's the Formula One news this week then, Tim? 
Well, I'm going to give um, give Nick one more one more try, and see okay. if we see if we can uh, get hold of him, um, because. <laughs> Uh, so say that again. So yeah, I said the thought of him uh, shouting "hooray" into his phone while having a secondary bag search is quite appealing to me. Yes. Uh, just trying to get hold of him. Uh, he is now through security. Right. So I'm just seeing if he is uh, available to talk. Available to talk, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk to him. Uh, very shortly. Now, uh, just to go on. Then. No, you go. Uh, no, I'm I'm I've been doing some land speed record uh, research because uh, they're spooling up the uh, the latest Challenger Bloodhound. Yeah, still four hundred miles an hour off the uh, target time though, so got a yeah. lot of time to find. Yes, and and. And they're going to put rockets on it. And that's like which... you saying, I'm going to drive it 100 miles an hour and actually going at 45 miles an hour. You're a long way off. Mm. I, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of rocket power. Um, Budweiser Rocket in 1979 um, did 739.6 miles an hour, which was over 1,100 kilometres an hour, and brought the sound barrier, but... It was never verified properly. Um, and there was a lot of hassle in those days about wheel-driven. Um, at that point in, in the mid-60s, Donald Campbell in CN7 Bluebird, with, albeit with a gas turbine a Bristol Proteus engine, but still wheel-driven, did over 400 miles an hour and held the land speed record. But um, Spirit of America... Um, Craig Briglove's jet car did 407. Well, that wasn't wheel-driven. But having said that, um, you had... I mean, there was at one stage, there was three different land speed records. Um, and... Uh, but I think it was... It was 1964, wasn't it? The FIA and FIM met in Paris. And... Um, met in Paris and... Recognised the land speed record as anything that goes as fast as it can, basically. On and at the moment, of course, yes, Andy Green with Thrust has 763.035 one way and 760.343 the other. You've got to do it twice, of course. Um, the wheel driven uh, land speed record, though, I've got a feeling. Is still held by yes. It's been pushed up to 448 miles an hour by Challenger Two, Danny Thompson's car, that was set last year on the salt flats of Bonneville, and that's wheel that's wheel driven, um, and piston engined as well. That one, um, they they used two Hemi V8s, nitro methane fuel for that. That's to me, that's the problem. That's pretty good. That's but hey, what do I know? Have we got Damon yet then? Uh, we might Hello. have Nick Damon. Yes, we do. Hello. I'm on the Skylink at Dallas Airport. 
Excellent. Well, we're going to do Formula One now, for which we need our Formula One correspondent, Nick Dearman. Hooray! And everyone's looking at me. <laughs> I've got a lot I really hope Joe got some footage of that. I really hope Joe got some footage of that. The woman who just got, oh my God, a mad English horse is styling. Uh, David T. Bruce said it's a shame you couldn't have got him while he was going through security because the footage of him being re- restrained by uh, these airport security guards would have been comedy gold. Uh, Formula One news this week, uh, and the main news is Albans on again for 2020. Yeah, I mean, I think it, they, they kind of backed themselves in the corner with that one, didn't they? I mean, I think it, in many ways, as we discussed before, Max Verstappen really needs a more experienced teammate to help him bring the car along um, and in any ways his parents and his, uh, his team were lobbying for that but um, Red Bull obviously uh, their programme they reckon Alex Albon showed must or affected more than Gasly because they were taking a lot more people so Albon's got the nod for next year you know it's, it's fine he's not bad but I'm not sure the championship I'm not sure the is going to win the constructors championship either sometimes you're going to be a bit more ambitious and you actually believe that this is your chance and this year with uh, with Honda, then you should probably um, actually back out with the second top-line driver. But they've gone for Albon, and obviously also that means that Toro Rosso will stay the same. Danny Kivier getting his 11th go at Toro Rosso at various times. Mm-hmm. And Pierre Gasly back home where he feels comfortable and nobody looks at him too much. He just turns around in night and do well now. Uh, that was going to be my, my next uh, question. Uh, where does that leave Toro Rosso? But same as this year, or same as second half this year with Kvyat uh, and Gasly? Of course, he won't be driving to us. He drives Alpha Centuria, whatever they call themselves. <laughs> Alpha, Alpha yeah, Tori. So, um, Alpha Tori, right, okay. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's none of, none of it's a real surprise. Um, means now, of course, um, Juvenazzi also got uh, retained by Alpha Romeo uh, last week. So, they once think yet to be decided. That's the second William seat, also known as the Poison Chalice. Uh, will we see Nico Hulkenberg in that seat? No. Will we because see Pas- the last matter of money. Pascal Verline? No. We're going Who? to see a man called... A man with the same player, same as me. Nicholas Fratisi. Ah. His dad owns shares and has got cash. Yes. And more importantly, he's got enough super license points. He's going to either win or come second. He's going to come second in that suit this year, so he'll be fine. And he's uh, going to be testing uh, in a Friday practice session this weekend in Brazil. That's right. He can't test in Abu Dhabi because obviously the final F2 race, so he's not allowed to do a prior test and do F2, but he will be staying on to the Abu Dhabi test after the race, so in a couple of days of tyre testing, theoretically with the new tyres. So after they tried the new tyres uh, 10 days ago in Austin, everyone hates the new tyres. Now that it's not have the new tyres, uh, and then the new tyres are pretty good on us, they're used Brilliant, Nick. Thank you. Good luck getting you, Hopper, down here. Nice big plane for you for 45 minutes of a flight from Dallas-Fort Worth. Yeah, can, can, can you turn the heat on, please, John? It's not too warm there. I've got a T-shirt on here. It's fine, mate. Don't worry. You'll, you'll be in shorts tomorrow. Uh, Nick Damon joining us live from Dallas-Fort Dallas Worth on the Sky Train as he uh, heads to us for our 24-hour series coverage at 
the weekend. Tim, we've got uh, six minutes to wrap up. Anything else that you've still got on your pile of papers? The news that no one is talking about. The stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. You're going to like this one. Really? Renault F1 team took part in the Formula 1 Fan Festival in Sao Paulo, Brazil on Saturday the 9th of November with upcoming Brazilian racing star and Renault Sport Academy driver uh, Cal Collett uh, putting on a show at the wheel of the Renault-powered E20 Formula 1 car. 17-year-old driver who finished as rookie champion in this year's Formula Renault Euro Cup lives on the doorstep of Formula... uh, Sorry, of Sao Paulo's Ibrapuera Park which hosts Saturday's event, where he drove the 2012 spec Formula 1 car in front of thousands of fans. The festival paid tribute to three-time Formula 1 world champion Ayrton Senna and builds up to this weekend's Brazilian Grand Prix at Interlagos, a penultimate round of the 2019 World Championship. The team has now participated in three spectacular Formula 1 fan festivals over the course of 2019, uh, after Shanghai and Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles. Press Was this the one that does Sorry, not on. mention at all the fact that he drove the car into a barrier ah uh, ah uh, uh. yes well uh, press releases tend to try to be positive don't they is yes. this the press release that you said at the end of last week's show i've already got the press the pointless press release of the week for next oh, week oh no i'd completely forgotten about that one i can't oh, even remember what that was see. now Oh, you were so excited about that, Tim, as well. I know. Maybe uh, you'll have time to fit that into your film programme tomorrow. Don't forget, tomorrow night, 10 o'clock UK time. Uh, that is 5 o'clock on the east coast of America. It's uh, Nick travels back in time. Not Nick doesn't do anything. Tim travels back in time to the days when men were men and cars had three pedals. Uh, it's the... The movie Le Mans 66 or Ford versus Ferrari and uh, Tim's been chatting to the stars of the I movie. Have. Yeah. Uh, okay. Another star mm-hmm. uh, is Chris Ingram who right. uh, has won the 2019 FIA European Rally Championship after taking fourth place on Rally Hungary at the weekend. Yeah. Uh, I, alongside Ross Whittock in a top sport with a K. Uh, WRT Skoda Fabio R5. Are there any relation then to Toxport that's here this weekend? I, was I would ask be uh, very surprised if it wasn't the same team. That's very interesting. Very interesting. Ingram is uh, the fir- first British European rally champion since when? 1967, Vic Elford. Yes. Uh who uh, has been following progress of uh, Chris Ingram from his home in the USA, apparently. He's a nice man, Mr. Uh, Elford. I like him a lot. Uh, Frikius Truan from Hungary won the event. It was his first rally win uh, with uh, Lukinuk second and Callum Devine third in the Hyundai. Well, Toxport World Racing Team which is Toxport WRT, mm-hmm. advertised themselves as, and I quote, the ultimate partner of drivers from tarmac to gravel. Our experience starts from the preparation of a race car, supporting it during races, and continue to after race support. So 
I'm going to ask them. That's the thing we've got to... That's a question for them tomorrow. Well, they have got... On their website, there are circuit racing cars as well. Circuit racing to rallies. Yep, 24-hour series. It is them, and they do the Porsche Carrera Cup Deutschland as well. So you'll see them again at Le Mans. Yeah. And that brings us full circle. It's where we started, isn't it? Pretty much with Porsche going back to Le Mans uh, for their Carrera Cup Deutschland and the French Carrera Cup uh, as well. So much like the NASCAR series will this weekend, which started at Daytona and finishes at uh, Miami Dade and the Homestead Speedway, we have come back to where we began just under a couple of hours ago. Thanks to all of our people say we don't plan this show. <laughs> it's amazing that when you just throw stuff at a wall and some of it sticks. Uh, the uh, thank you very much to all our guests, particularly Ivo Broikers, for his time on a very busy setup day for the final race in the Championship of Continents. It is the twenty-four hours of quarter at the weekend. We'll have full coverage here. Uh, all bar one session in sound and vision, and the one that isn't in sound and vision is in sound. So there's no need for you to miss anything. We've got a star-studded lineup uh, with Shea Adam, Nick Damon, Joe Bradley, Johnny Palmer, and Paul Truswell uh, running the show here. I'm going to stick my feet up and see if I can get or see if I can get a drive. Quite frankly, I don't think I'm needed on the broadcast. We'll be back next week at the same time of eight o'clock. Tim Gray was our executive producer, doing all the hard work. Back in Londonshire, Adam was with me here at the Circuit of the Americas near Waterloo at Austin, Texas. And the responsible adult is everywhere, always. See you next week, or better still, join us at the weekend. No time to explain. Llama, off to find some racing underwear. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.